Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning, good morning, listeners, on this uh, beautiful sunny day out there. Might be a little bit windy, a bit cool, but it's still a sunny spring morning. And I'm Pierre Morrow, and that's correct. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerlings. And thanks to Annie and the team of Solidarity Breakfast for bringing another interesting program of Solidarity Breakfast. And that um, music that you were listening was from Eva Popo uh, singing Exit Door. And I'm by myself uh, again. Um, Giselle will be, I think, out of action for another couple of weeks, but she will be back before the end of the year. So it's only about... I don't know, about four weeks or five weeks. The 15th of December is our last program for the year before our well-deserved summer break. And I was just seeing a notice board here. If you want to support 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station, um, the radio has a wine fundraiser on. Um, I can't see a community announcement here, but I'm sure there is one around. But um, if you go on the website of 3CR Radio, allw3cr.org.au, you can find how to... Um, uh, buy some yummy wine for the summer season and support this great station as well. And um, and obviously, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker. Links bring you uh, updates from the Labor Asia Pacific region every week at nine o'clock. And if you want to get in touch with us, give us. Uh, you can go to our website, all the w's a a w l dot org dot au, or um, check us on Facebook and Twitter. And um, on this uh, week's program, we'll have the usual roundup of uh, uh, labour issues from the region. In the second half of the program, we'll be talking to Nick McClellan, who is a long-time uh, uh, guest uh, here at on Asia Pacific Currents. He was actually one of the founders of the program many, many, many years ago, who's an independent journalist and a long-time human rights activist with a special focus on the Pacific region. And uh, he'll be commenting on the independence referendum that was recently held in New Caledonia and also the elections this week in Fiji. So that will be in the second half of the program. But um, we'll go straight to the news items where yesterday was the global day to stop the repression against uh, unionists. It uh, was the fifth year that that has been um, commemorated. And uh, yesterday in Melbourne, there was a small ceremony outside the Hour Monument opposite Trades Hall. And the 16th of November was um, was chosen as the day by a number of labour organisations throughout uh, during 2014. It's the anniversary of the Hacienda Luzita massacre of workers in the Philippines in 2004. And the demands of the day are stop the killings of workers and unionists, free our comrades in jail, organising is not a crime, stop sexual violence against women workers, support unions as they save workers' lives, and unorganised workers are used as cheap labour, a living wage for all. So um, this global uh, day really is an opportunity for all of us to stand together internationally for our rights, rights as a class. to me lover i've secrets to tell hi 
Hi, we're Dash. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me sweetly this love of great our first uh, item of news, um, well, it's a second item, but uh, uh, really it's the, it comes from Turkey and it's unfortunate, it's a very uh, unfortunate and sad one. On Tuesday of this week, the 13th of November, Abdallah Karachan, the president of the Rubber and Chemical Workers Union Lastic Ish, was shot dead by unknown assassin while meeting workers at a Goodyear tyre factory. The union's regional president, Mustafa Sipahi, and shop steward Osman Barakta were also shot. Barakta remains in a critical condition in hospital. Karachan had led, unsuc- had led successful struggles in previous years against precarious work and outsourcing at tyre companies. Now, this is a terrible attack on the whole of the Turkish working class and reflects the worsening conditions that Turkish workers now find themselves in. And our condolences uh, really go to the the family of uh, Abdullah Karakan and his two companions, um, his friends and his comrades, that especially those that witnessed this uh, terrible um, murder. Um, we now go to um, uh, to a to West Asia, where we're really looking at migrant workers. And um, again, um, it's a report that really shows that um, how um, the deep the exploitation of migrant workers is. According to latest estimates, there are over 8 million temporary Indian migrant workers working in the various Gulf countries of West Asia. Now, a recent report once again highlighted the appalling level of exploitation that these temporary migrant workers endure and the level of profits that can be made from their labour. The report from the Commonwealth Human Rights Initiative stated in the last six years, remittances from Indian temporary migrant workers back to India um, totaled um, uh, well over 200 billion US dollars. So even though they don't get paid much, um, the workers are able to remit back um, billions of of dollars back to India. And of course, the government and a whole um, number of private companies and financial institutions take a cut or out of these money. Um, But also, more importantly, what this report catalogued, that in these same six years, over 25,000 Indian workers died in workplace incidents and causes of workplace accidents and processes in these Gulf countries of West Asia. Now, these 25,000 deaths over six years translate to over 10 deaths per day every day for the last six years. That is an incredible figure that uh, you usually don't see reported. Of course, the mass media doesn't report such uh, terrible inhumanity and what can only be described as ongoing mass murder because you're talking about 10 workers uh, dying on at the workplace through avoidable accidents per day, every day for the last six years working in the Gulf countries in West Asia. Hey, this is Nick Rimpinyar. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you.
That's right. Uh, we can't take it anymore, and that's why um, we keep organising, we keep fighting back, and that was the whole point of the Global Day um, Against Trade Union Repression on November the 16th. If you weren't able to participate yesterday, uh, put on your diary for next year. Um, we now um, go next door to um, Turkey, to Iran, where in the... Um, Southwestern industrial city of Awaz. Hundreds of steel workers have been on strike since the start of, of the of the week. The main chance um, are threats, imprisonment won't stop our protest and our table is empty, enough exploitation. Um, they um, released uh, an additional statement about the strike that stated, and I, and I read it, the factory has belonged to the workers for decades and has been central to our lives, providing us with the means of buying a house, food for our family and a means of living. And now the owners and government want to destroy the factory and no matter what colour our skin is, what religion or ethnicity we, are, we have, the most important thing is our solidarity and the desire to win back the factory and return it to the former state in the hands of the workers. Um, you can see just this uh, uh, very short statement, the, 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 the level of political uh, knowledge and, uh, and understanding of uh, really what the system they're fighting for and the need as a class to, to stand together and to show solidarity. And in solidarity, the striking workers of the half Tupper sugar refinery, which uh, regular listeners will know we've often reported on their struggles, um, they're actually on another uh, ongoing uh, struggle th these days, on another one. They basically um, have chanted solidarity with the steel workers of Awas and thanks for, you for uh, supporting us. The, the sugar... Uh, refinery workers also um, raised additional political s slogans such as our problems will end when the government stops stealing and very interestingly uh, as Iranian workers leave Syria and think about your own workers and shame on our governor you should leave the city of Shush where this refinery is and again it shows that the, the deep uh, political understanding and commitment and organization and the the the, the the determination of Iranian workers. I, I think it's uh, they're a um, um, they're, they're really an inspiration to all of us. Um, we now go to um, China, f um, and this is a story about occupational health and safety. Where um, this month, about two hundred workers suffering from the debil debilitating lung disease of uh, pneumoconiosis, and their family varies from family members from various parts of Hunan province went to the city of Shenzhen um, to protest. The workers had contracted this occupational illness during the 1990s while working in the booming construction sector in Shenzhen. They assembled at a local park where the offices of the Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security are situated. The workers were demanding better health care, better compensation and a better welfare plan from the Shenzhen authorities. While some initial meetings with authorities did occur, in the evening of November 5, the workers 
workers were set upon by police who used chemical spray in an attempt to clear the camp. Protests um, over occupational illnesses are becoming more common in China, with more and more workers developing these illnesses as they get older. And um, I did um, forget to mention that uh, when I talked about the Turkish story, we will have an interview next week with a, a, a Turkish um, worker about the situation for workers in Turkey. And we also have a upcoming uh, um, interview with a uh, Chinese labor activist over the next few weeks. So um, keep listening for these um, upcoming interviews. Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. It's um, just on 13 past 9 o'clock here on the 3CR Radio, listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Um, one more uh, news update. This is from uh, South Korea, where, um, again, this is a, an example of the sheer determination uh, and, uh, and efforts of workers. Um, I know that my uh, colleague uh, Giselle um, often uh, smiles and we have discussion about that these type of uh, of, of protests that, that really pit just some individual workers <coughs> sorry, against the company. And uh, it's really a question of the effectiveness of it in uh, against uh, actually organising much greater numbers of workers at the, at the workplace. But um, regardless of that, and I do understand where Giselle is coming, I do agree with her, you, you still have to support these workers uh, in, the, in their fight. But anyway, the example is um, Hong Jitak, a former union leader and worker at the fine tech company, manufacturing company in South Korea, in conjunction with the Secretary General of the local chapter of the Korean Metal Workers Union, Park Joon-ho, this week passed a 12-month milestone in the aerial protest. Both activists have been involved in an aerial sitting on top of a smokestack in Seoul, demanding that the company keep its promise regarding a collective agreement and to keeping workers on its payroll. The workers' feat of endurance is uh, exemplified by the fact that they alleged they are um, on is less than a metre wide and over the last year they've had to, had to endure temperatures of minus 20 in winter and up to um, plus 40 degrees in summer. So uh, an incredible feat of Endura. We certainly um, express our solidarity with these workers but uh, in the end while the working class in Korea is well organised it does show that um, often workers are put in incredible desperate positions where the law doesn't protect them and we all know about um, laws that don't protect workers here in um, in Australia and so they're reduced or they're forced to go to these extreme lengths to try and get some, um, some justice so um, it would be much better if they weren't uh, if they, if these efforts weren't needed, but regardless, we do um, stay in solidarity with them, and um, we hope that they will win. That's the end of the labour update for this this week. We'll have more next uh, next week. Um, we'll go to a community uh, break, and then we'll be back with uh, Nick McClellan talking about the uh, the latest events in both New Caledonia and. Um, and Fiji. For 10 days in November, 
Defend and Extend's public housing will be campaigning on the steps of Parliament House to make public housing an election issue. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us anytime from Wednesday the 14th of November, that's midday the 14th of November, to Saturday midnight the 24th of November and put the spotlight on public housing this Victorian state election. Use Victoria's stamp duty revenue approximately $6 billion plus per year for public housing. House 1 million Victorians by 2029. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us. Bring tea, bring coffee, bring cakes, bring food, bring your musical instruments and most importantly of all, bring yourself and your sleeping bag. CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. It's just um, on, uh, oh, it just clocked on 18 past nine o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links on your favourite community radio station. As um, as I said um, before, it's our pleasure to introduce Nick McLennan, who's a long-time independent journalist and a human rights activist um, focusing on the um, Pacific region and um, a um, one of the founders of this program many years ago. Um, good morning, Nick. How are you? Good morning, Pierre. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thanks again for coming on to the program for our listeners. Um, no, look, it's a, a really interesting time. Um, um, there's not been a lot of coverage in the Australian media about uh, developments in New Caledonia, but, you know, it's one of our closest neighbours, so it's really important to, to pay attention. Yeah, that, that, That's right, that's right. And, um, I, I mean, I could say that a lot of our mass media doesn't cover lots of things in our region, but you're <laughs> totally correct. Um, so, anyway, look, they had a referendum, I think, a couple of weeks or maybe three weeks ago in New Caledonia. The outcome of uh, it was an independence referendum. Um, the outcome um, of the referendum was 56 um, uh, against independence and um, and four of no, it was fifty-four for um, remaining with France and forty-six for independence. Um, was the result a surprise? Well, it wasn't a surprise when you go and talk to people on the ground. It was certainly a surprise for a lot of the um, the public opinion in the French circles in New Caledonia. It's a very divided country, you know, and and people in the uh, in the capital, Noumea, live in a bit of a bubble. You know, they're on very good salaries. They're subsidised by French taxpayers. Um, they lead a very privileged and comfortable lifestyle. And they hadn't really paid attention to the mobilisation that was going on amongst the indigenous Melanesian population, the Kanaks, um, who've been preparing for this referendum for, for many years, many decades indeed. And so the the great mobilisation that went on on the ground really happened a bit under the radar. And um, it's, it's although the no vote won, although there were no majority 
was was there to stay within the French Republic. Um, early predictions in the opinion polls and the prognostications of the right wing had been that it would be about a 70-30 result, 70% staying with France. So the, the final outcome was much closer than people were, were predicting in public. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the vote more or less uh, resembles the breakup in Parliament in terms of the parties and the population breakup of New Caledonia. Is that about correct? Yeah, it's it's historically been about 60-40 have been the outcome of provincial elections, 60% for the anti-independent side and about 40% for the uh, members who make up the FLNKS, the Kanak Socialist National Liberation Front. So this result is a very good one. Um, for example, it, there's a real division in the country. There are three provinces. Two of them have majority Kanak population, and both those provinces voted strongly yes, over a 75-80% yes in favour of independence. In the south, the vote was... Uh, only one in four people voted for independence. The south is where most of the... European, Walesian, other non connect populations live. And um, uh, it was about 75, uh, 74-26. But that's the highest vote the independence movement has ever had in the South in any of the recent elections. Um, it's the first time they've ever got beyond 20%. Uh, they got 26%. So it shows that there's some momentum, not just amongst the connect population, but also amongst people from other islander communities people from Wallace and Fortuna, from Tahiti, other French colonies who've, who've come to work in particularly the nickel industry in New Caledonia. As far as I understand, uh, while this was a referendum independence, really the main focus of the campaigning from both sides was all about economic issues, i.e. W- what would happen if economically if it went independent. Is, is that correct? Well, the Canucks were were certainly talking about, you know, gaining independence, but there was a big fear campaign. Um, You know, France puts in over a billion dollars a year into New Caledonia. It's a massive uh, subsidisation by French taxpayers. The thing is, though, a lot of it's boomerang aid, and it only benefits a tiny elite, and a lot of it goes back to France by paying for French public servants, the French military, and so on. So ordinary people, um, working people, and indeed particularly uh, rural communities and so on don't benefit as much as they should from those benefits. But there was a big scare campaign during the, the referendum saying that an independent New Caledonia wouldn't be able to pay for all these subsidised salaries, all the um, family assistance. Uh, there's a lot of concern that people might lose their pensions and so on. So during the time I was there, I was there for a couple of months during the electoral campaign and talking in the villages. The FLNKS sent out teams and uh, did presentations and so on saying, look, really only about 15% of the budget is coming from France. The rest of it is from your work, your taxes. Um, And so that there would be ways that that money could be replicated by other donors uh, or indeed uh, by uh, ditching a lot of the extravagance that comes with having, you know, obscene salaries paid to French public servants who earn about 1.75% of local salaries uh, because of all the bonuses they get. Now, um, I could ask you lots of questions, but I want to get to Fiji as well before we, we finish. So just one last question about this referendum, because obviously in the, I think it was the Numia Accords, uh, going back 20 years, there's actually two other referendums scheduled, but they're very, very close. Like the next one's going to be in, in two years and the one after in two years. Um, do you think that the result will be very different in, uh, if these referendums happen in such a, a short time? 
I think what's really shocked the anti-independence parties is how close the independence movement got. And as you say, the Namir Accord, which is the overarching framework for New Caledonia political agreement, um, makes provision. If the first vote was no, it's possible that a third of the Congress can vote to hold a second and indeed a third referendum two years apart. Now, the FLNKS already has over 40% of the Congress membership, so it's, they can clearly call another vote if they want to, and that's what they're planning to do. Um, and I think what worries both the French state and the anti-independence parties, the parties of the right, is that the momentum that the FLNKS has got in this vote as I say, they didn't win, but they did much better than, than uh, most commentators were expecting. That gives them the momentum to keep going, and it gives them the, the political backing that they don't do a deal, as uh, the right was hoping, that the Connect would basically give up on the dream of independence. That's clearly not going to happen. There's elections next May uh, for the local political institutions, and then I believe the FLNKS will vote in Congress to hold another referendum. And that's going to be very interesting, because... They got close, and, and can they mobilise? 30,000 people didn't vote, so there's, uh, with non-compulsory voting, there's potential to mobilise uh, even more people, and uh, that's certainly scaring the French. Well, there you go. Interesting times ahead there. We'll certainly keep an eye on the next couple of years, but I really want to get to Fiji, where there's just been an election, and it seems that the incumbent Fiji uh, First Party, or Frank Bainamarama, will actually win against, correct me if I'm wrong, but the main opposition party, Sodelpa, is actually headed by Mr. Rambuka, who was the general who did two coups in 1987. Now, can you explain explain some of the, the um, politics of that? I mean, Rambuka is a great, uh, a great showman, and he's come back from political obscurity to take the, the leadership of Sodelpo, which is the main uh, Fijian-based party. Um, there's been a fight within Sodelpa, and some of the old chiefly establishment um, have, have been very hostile to Rambuka. Um, the former leader, Rotemumu Kepa, is... Uh, within Fijian customary uh, um, uh, structures, very uh, high chief. Um, and Rambuka has taken the Sodelpa to a reasonable turnout in this vote. Um, the Bainimarama government, the Fiji First Party, had the advantage of incumbency and used that uh, as well. They've certainly lost, on, on, the, on the current counting, they've lost some ground uh, compared to the overwhelming majority they had uh, for the 2014 elections. So people are certainly... Uh, marked down the Fiji First Government, um, the arrogance that they showed in Parliament uh, where the opposition was pretty weak over the last uh, four years has, um, is now going to see a much stronger opposition in Parliament, which I think is a good thing for Fiji. Um, the third party, the National Federation Party, has, done, uh, um, has, has come in behind but certainly got a, a slightly stronger base um, and they'll be very active within Parliament uh, um, so it's a bit of a setback for Bainimarama, even though it's clear that uh, on current polling, um, the government will will be returned to office. Now, in terms of the recent history of Fiji, of Fiji I don't want to go too too far back. Um, the, the question of of rights, uh, certainly for for workers and organising, there's been a lot of um, news in the last few years about how hard it is for workers to organise and, and oppression, and also the, for minority rights for the Indian Fijian population there. Um, as a last comment, where do you see um, these two areas going forward from now and after these elections? 
Well, there's a, a major change in the labour movement. Um, historically, there's been a, a big split within the labour movement between uh, unions that were more closely aligned with the Fiji Labour Party and those aligned with the National Federation Party, which has historically been the largest Indo-Fijian party. Um, between the Fiji Council of Trade Unions and the Fiji Island Trade Union Council, there's been a, a quite a bitter brawl. Um, um, what, what we've seen, however, is because of the pressure um, under the last Bainimarama government on workers' rights, that there's been an agreement that the unions will come together in one national federation again. So you're going to have one umbrella Council of Trade Unions um, with uh, most of the key unions affiliating or reaffiliating with the Fiji Council of Trade Unions. That's a, a really strategic and significant breakthrough after years where there's been divisions amongst the labour movement. Um, and I think it's because um, workers and, and their representatives recognise that um, they're often at the receiving end of the policies from the government which have very much benefited the business community. Um, so we're going to see, I think, uh, uh, some um, stronger role. You know, the Labor Party didn't do very well in these elections, but I think uh, on um, the ground you're going to see better coordination between right, trade that's, unions. That's great to hear. Sorry, Nick, I really have to go. We've really run, literally run out of time. I'm very sorry uh, uh, to stop thank you. Very, very much, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no worries, Nick. And we'll have you back uh, again to, um, it sounds like there's lots of um, positive changes going on. So thank you very much. And, um, yeah, we'll speak again. Thanks. All right, cheers. Bye. That was uh, Nick McLennan, an independent journalist and long-time human rights activist in the Pacific region. We've really uh, run out of time. It's uh, run on 9.30. Apologies for um, stopping that early. Um, I've got to go. My name is Pierre Morrow. You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links on your favourite community radio station. You can listen to this program on a podcast as well. But stay tuned to 3CR Radio. Coming up is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.